Hello, my name is Stanley Fires and you are listening to another interview episode on the road to open science. In this episode, we talk to Micah van der Grift. He is visiting the Netherlands on a Fulbright Fellowship to study the development on open science. We talked to him in a new chat session, which we were recording in December 2018, together with Bianca Kramer and Barbara Frey. I'm so glad to be here. My name is Micah Vandegrift. I'm uh, the Open Knowledge Librarian at North Carolina State University Libraries, and I'm here on a Fulbright Fellowship studying uh, open science in the EU uh, through policy and infrastructure and, and libraries' role in that. So I'm, I'm here studying uh, how national open science policies in the Netherlands and in Denmark, I have a split appointment there, um, have affected how um, open science is playing out. Uh, and so my question, my research question being here was, uh, what role do libraries play in sort of enacting the national open science policy um, here or in Denmark? And why have you chosen Netherlands and Denmark? Uh, Netherlands, because I, my family heritage is here, and so part of the Fulbright program is getting a, a cultural exchange. So I, I was a country I'd wanted to visit for a long time, and so it was, um, it was just fortuitous that the Netherlands is also very advanced in their open science agenda. Um, and so I've been paying attention from the United States for several years on what's happening over here, the negotiations with the VSNU, um, things happening in, in the libraries, at, especially here at Utrecht. Uh, so I um, was just excited to, to come and uh, see what was happening. What was the most catchy item that you've seen in the open science sphere and community in the Netherlands so far? So far, uh, well, a, a lot of it has been overtaken by discussions around Plan S, but that's uh, an important um, uh, milestone, I think, in, in what may happen in open science over the next couple of years. Uh, I've been very encouraged. I, I arrived here in October and attended a meeting in um, Open Science Festival in Amsterdam and was very encouraged to hear about the development of open science communities. Uh, Leiden uh, here at Utrecht, and then the third one is... Eindhoven, that's right. So um, seeing that has been really um, formative in how I think that open science may work when I go back to the United States, that we have done a lot in library coalition building, which is important. What we haven't done very much of is coalition building with researchers or researcher-led coalition building around openness, uh, not so much in the state. So I'm, I'm planning to take that model back and, and do what I can to uh, to support a, a researcher-led open science community at North Carolina State and maybe uh, elsewhere in the United States. So I, I think one part of the open science that is connected to libraries has always been open access because there is structure involved and money involved and decisions involved. And there Europe has been perhaps uh, a bit ahead in general. In Germany we had uh, also many discussions on that. But uh, what I see in the United States, which I still see a bit lagging behind in Europe, are actually these research-led initiatives, either preprints, but also open science, like Center for Open Science, reproducibility efforts, things like that, which is like a bit the other side of doing open science. They are still not fully fledged into each other, not, not a complete alloy, but all of them under the umbrella of open science. Mm -hmm. uh, do you also do research on that part of it? Um, I guess that's what I would consider to be sort of the infrastructure of open access or open science. And 
every year I grow more and more interested in that side of it because um, especially coming from a library perspective, most of my career has been spent around open access and trying to convince people that this is a good idea and talking about the subscription or the serials crisis and talking about the money that we invest in this system. And that argument hasn't really played out very well. Uh, researchers hear it sometimes and, and there are a few who, um, who believe in it and, and make a change. Um, but yeah, I think for libraries, uh, there's, um, especially in the United States, there's a conversation going on right now about what, how do we define something like community-owned infrastructure? What does that look like? Um, what are the pieces of that that are necessary for supporting open, uh, open science, open access? And then how can we build coalitions around that, not just with libraries and library money, but with researchers or offices of research or uh, university administration. So I think infrastructure is a thing that I'm very interested in, which sounds weird to say because that's not really the kind of person I am, but it's, it's clear that that is a, um, uh, something that we need to pay attention to and, and, and build uh, knowledge and resources around. We also see that the border between library and research institute is actually becoming very vague, especially with the emergence of data infrastructure, which are very important. And now researchers really seek information from librarians and data managers to to understand what to do with uh, with their data. Uh, structurally, new solutions need to emerge. And I think librarians also approach researchers because they have the techniques and they would like to actually apply it to real life situations, uh, if I may say that. Uh, you you mentioned infrastructure. It's interesting that this week there is a there is a couple of articles in the journal Science about revisiting uh, the 50 years of publication of the tragedy of Commons. And I was just listening this morning about uh, the discussion that actually has been there quite for a long time in United States, less here. And for me, always is uh, the real example is Wikipedia, which I think could have not been initiated in any other ground than United States because of all these special characters that it has been to be very libertarian, but also very entrepreneurial, independent, all, all these things. So why Wikipedia in the United States has not become s much bigger in the academic sphere? That's a great question. Um, my first response is, so I'll, I'll tell you, as a, an undergraduate, when I was studying at university in the United States, um, Wikipedia was still seen as like a, a less than credible resource. And I think for whatever reason, that has continued to pervade the, the common perception of what Wikipedia is or what it could be. Um, I've been really inspired by the, the GLAM community, the galleries, libraries, archives, and museums. They've really taken to Wikipedia um, and I, met, I can't remember her name, of course, but I met with someone in Denmark um, who told me that Wikipedia is the way that they are connecting their collections with the public. Uh, and I think when we're talking a lot about open science or open access or even digital humanities, the question is putting stuff out there is great, but how do we connect that stuff to what's happening in policy or the, the lived experience of a person uh, who, who's our neighbor, who we interact with at a shop? I think that there could be a lot of work done. Uh, infrastructure is still the, the, the underlying theme here. A lot of work could be done um, around Wikipedia as uh, like a, a transmission platform for open science. I think that that's probably work that will come out of libraries, uh, which I'm happy to be a part of. Um, but 
yeah, there's 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 work to be done there. Can I jump into that? Uh, I think in addition to Wikipedia as a as a platform, there's also Wikidata that's sort of built on the same model, and that's becoming that has a lot of potential as well. It's becoming more and more important. And if we talk about news chat, one of the things that happened this week was in France that I'm not sure if it's the national catalog or a library catalog, but they decided to build their uh, their taxonomy on Wikidata. So really use that Wikidata model as a basis for how they structure their information, which when you talk about comments, I think that's a really promising and really nice initiatives. Yeah, I agree. So the Wikidata is quite nice because it's also is going into metrics now and it is more transparent, democratic way of building up the information necessary for metrics, which were previously actually privatized uh, information. Uh, so, but talking about news, international news, we had just uh, something from France. What news do you have from the United States? Because this is a gossip session, a news <laughs> session. So what is happening in the United States at this moment uh, with respect to open science? Sure, so uh, I'll, I'll echo again the, the um, point I said earlier about community-owned infrastructure. Since um, Elsevier acquired B Press, the Berkeley Electronic Press, which uh, a lot of libraries had, had bought into as their repository platform, um, there's been a long and um, difficult and challenging conversation about what that means for openness, open science, open access in the United States. So um, that, I'd say, is still in active development, P libraries figuring out what to do about B-Press. Um, another thing that's very encouraging that's very recent is um, ACRL, which is the Association of College and Research Libraries, is putting together a, uh, a new scholarly communication agenda. Uh, like a research agenda for the association that sort of uh, feeds back into the work of, of scholarly communication librarians or digital scholarship offices. Um, uh, the aspects of that agenda that are really interesting are that um, the, the principal investigators are Nancy Marin and Rebecca Kennison, which are, are names that people might recognize um, that ACRL has hired to, put to work on this agenda. So they did a long and wide-ranging survey of, of libraries and librarians uh, that uh, I participated in, also from NC State. Um, and that draft version of these new, this new research agenda for ACRL around scholarly communication has just come out for public comment, which is, a, again, a, a new thing, I think, for ACRL, that they're um, not only collecting community feedback, but allowing um, sort of a, a preprint version of this new research agenda for one of our premier library associations around a topic that we all are, are uh, in um, my area of librarianship are very passionate about. Um, so that, that agenda will include uh, a much broader focus on diversity, uh, equitable access, and inclusion, and how we think about that in scholarly communication and open uh, science um, environments. So are you going to start a new preprint platform, or w w what type of activities are targeted? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think they'll go that far. I think that it's really just um, to sort of um, to refocus the energy of that, that scholarly uh, association of librarians toward a future, an equitable future for scholarly communication and for open science. Um, so I think what will come out of it is a lot of great librarians at a lot of great libraries um, finally ha being able to point to something from our association and saying, this is, a, you know, we have the backing of the association now for the, so I've been working in scholarly communication for almost nine years now, and I've done that sort of, uh, not on my own, but that we have a small community of scholarly communication people in the United States. Um, with ACRL push pushing this new agenda, uh, it would be 
sort of like a, another uh, wind at my back to be able to continue to do um, activist or radical or really progressive and forward-thinking work uh, in the area of open science. And another news that has reached us is the discussion between the University of California system and Elsevier, which many people are quite excited about. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Uh, I can tell you that it's uh, it's ongoing and that we have uh, several weeks to and we'll hear what uh, what has happened from the perspective. So I'm on the East Coast, California's on the West Coast. We look often toward the university uh, universities of California because of the way that it's structured as a as a statewide big system. Uh, I was reading something last night about this actually, and it sort of compared California to a European country, right? That the, the size and impact of the the research and the the um, the prestige of the the faculty that are there, uh, and the, the library system, the California Digital Library, uh, is a model that a lot of us in the states uh, pay attention to. Um, I'm really intrigued by their read and publish uh, sort of negotiation that they're taking to um, to force and, and work with, I guess, force and work with uh, Elsevier to really make a significant change. I think that it's very encouraging to see that they're already talking about, they're looking at Plan S and saying, okay, th they're able to do this in Europe. Uh, how can we do it uh, in, a in a contract nego negotiation with Elsevier here in the States? Um, so it seems like momentum is picking up. If California, if the universities of California cancel their deal, that will be a, a huge shock to the system. And uh, I think uh, a lot of libraries in the United States will maybe follow or at least uh, pay much more attention. If they don't cancel the deal and they, they win some sort of a, a negotiation with Elsevier toward this read and publish model, um, I would also think that lots of libraries will follow suit and we may start to see a very significant shift in how, um, how open is, is paid for, which is one, one aspect of it. Uh, so it's very can, can you explain the read and pay model? I don't, I don't know if I can. I, I read a little bit about it. Do you, do you know more detail about it, Bianca? I don't know about the uh, written publish that UCLA is, uh, is uh, pursuing. But here it's very much what uh, VSNU has been doing over the last year in, in the big deal negotiations, where it means that uh, as part of the, the license that the license money that we pay, we don't only get access to the closed articles, but we also get uh, free, co uh, free uh, publishing for uh, authors affiliated with our institutions. So it includes both the reading and the publishing, which is why they're called read and publish agreements. Um, for Plan S, the requirements for those read and publish agreements are a bit more stringent because they do not only um, they do not only include like okay for that pack of money you have to have access and publishing, but it also requires that in that is a move towards full open access. So in that there's a requirement for the publishers to indicate how they will move towards full open access. So it's not an endpoint, but it's really a step towards full open access. Um, and what's also important in Plan S is, is the copyright situation. Um, so the licensing right now for these kinds of hybrid journals is usually closed. So it's, it's, um, these are articles that can be read by humans, but they're not articles that can be read and processed by machines. And that is a very important component of Plan S. 
it's often forgotten when we talk about open access. We talk about open access usually as, okay, I as a consumer can actually get access to this paper and I can read it. But we don't talk about open access, which is actually an integral part of the definition of open access. It's open to read and open to reuse. And that reuse part, for that you need a proper license and, and Plan S is definitely pursuing that. Um, and in these kinds of hybrid deals, the read and publish uh, model that we have now uh, as part of the VSNU negotiations, and I think that also uh, the, the University of California is pursuing, um, that I haven't seen pop up as clearly. Um, but it is definitely something that you know belongs to the new age of um, yeah how we consume scientific literature, um, and it's a really important thing to to keep in mind. Uh, I think that bo both of those are, are are great characterizations of how I understand what's what's happening in California. And um, I have a phrase that I've been uh, saying lately that I, I really believe that discovery is the future of open. Uh, and that will be done through things like uh, opening up licenses, through um, through better uh, metadata and machine readability. Um, those are all things that have been part of open principles for a long time, and we've worked really hard on getting things accessible. Access is, is a first step. Uh, I think a next step for, um, for open, whether it's open science or open data or open access, is um, making those things discoverable, connecting to Wikipedia, connecting to Wikidata, um, connecting through other public portals, um, in improving metadata and, and, and such. Uh, which um, makes me a bit worried because when you call about discovery, for me it's just search engine is a means for discovery. And then I'm afraid that the monopolizing effect of big search engines will actually prevail and then they will actually take the whole ecosystem. What do you see as an opportunity, and I ask you especially in the American uh, sphere, for small projects to be able to you know, survive, get funding to become stronger, uh, if we're going to regulate all the publishing which is allowed and we're going to make deals with the big players, how should the startups actually react to this new developments? I think that that's a that's a question of coalition building. Uh, I, I think it's um, it's encouraging to see things like uh, the Open Library of the Humanities, right, which has uh, come up with a model where um, libraries can pay into a pot, and then the Open Library of the Humanities um, can use that pot of money to support open initiatives like the uh, the journal Glossa, right, uh, and other open uh, open projects. Uh, I also think that things you mentioned, the open science framework earlier, I think that um, that they are st still figuring out and working on what their, their business model will look like, but there's um, enough use and enough utility of a platform like that, that um, if they were to say, okay, we need, like, let's build a coalition for funding um, this sort of thing, uh, that there would be a lot of interest in supporting or continuing to support a project like that. Um, so the challenge then is, if, if libraries are the ones with, with the money, uh, we need to stop paying something if we're able to support um, other pieces of the, the scholarly ecosystem. Um, so we're sort of in a, in a catch-22 all the time. I think that there are much more opportunities for productive conversations with the Office of Research on campus or with the university administration about the changing nature of not just publishing, but higher education and the roles that, that libraries play there. And perhaps maybe, you know, like 
I'm not saying that they're going to give us any more money, but maybe they will uh, allow libraries as we re as we sort of reform what what we mean to a campus and the sort of work that we do for a campus um, that an office of research may uh, make different investments in the work that libraries do that's not just based on subscription materials buying books putting together you know uh, air conditioning and lights in a building but also libraries providing training for data management libraries um, uh, putting together programs to uh, help graduate students understand what the open future looks like. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's there will be a time in the, in the coming years where money conversations will happen differently um, for how library how libraries are invested in by the university. Thank you. Can I add something to that? Yes. And uh, you just mentioned discovery, and I think that's a really nice extension of that thinking beyond just access to publications. Because, like Barbara was saying, if that if that material, that information, also becomes available for machines to harvest and to process, then we get, based on that layer of open base information, we get the possibility to build like discovery systems, uh, citation indexes, that are that that can be built also by by the startups uh, using open infrastructure. And then there's a question again for libraries and for institutions: How do you invest? Do you keep investing in like the the big commercial systems? Or do you also invest in the support of developing of these open systems? And there are quite some examples already with open knowledge maps, for instance, which is a bottom-up initiative built fully open. And they're now also looking at, okay, how can we finance that? So I think that's also really, um, it's promising. And it's also something that we have to think about how do we invest our, our money and our, our time and effort. I'd like to uh, say, so I have this, this ideal, um, scenario i think for what uh what a library may be able to do uh for the future but I, I think it looks different than what we what we see currently um so the the model i have in my head is of the skullcom lab at uh, simon fraser university in uh, in canada where there's a group of people there who are investigating all the questions um that, that we've been talking about and many more around openness uh in in publishing and and elsewhere um, but they function much more like a research institute than, a, than a, a, an office or a, or a department in a library. I think that that's really promising for um, gathering a, a group of smart people who maybe are librarians, maybe are scientists, maybe are humanists, um, giving them some sort of a funding line. And their mission is not to build services for the campus, which is often what, what libraries do, but their mission is to... Uh, perform research and to progress a field and to think about um, what's next for scholarly communication. And then the research that is done out of that Skullcom lab or that research institute does feed back into the library, but it's also feeding out into the academic community and to the university administration. So I, I think that that's, um, that's something that, that's a, a way of doing this kind of work that you don't see very commonly that I'm very interested in is sort of a yeah, a, a free-floating research institute dedicated to open science or scholarly communication or scientific communication. Thank you very much, uh, Mika, for joining us in this news chat. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.